Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC isn't going to be coming back to us anytime soon. We've still got a couple of weeks before our next UFC event. Nevertheless, we've got a bunch of great content to give to you guys today. First, we're going to be doing two interviews with the two fighters on that show, that UFC 246 show that is still a couple of weeks away. I'll be talking with Grant Dawson, who fights Chad Skelly, and Odie Osborne, who fights Brian Boom Kelleher. Plus, we are going to be running down my personal favorite top five countdown that we do on the show. It is now three years strong. We are going to be counting down the top five unranked contenders. The UFC has now had Four straight years where an unranked fighter has gone from unranked all the way to a title shot. We're going to talk about the five people who are most likely to do that this year. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Lambs. Visit GetLambs.com to check out their innovative line of radiation-proof clothing. There are studies out there that show that radiation can lead to all kinds of bad things, including low testosterone levels. It could affect your reproductive cells and, and all kinds of other things. And radiation comes in lots of places in our life, especially because technology keeps expanding, it's not going away. So why not protect yourself with lamps? They have got a beanie and underwear to protect both your noggin and your downstairs from radiation. Now, I wear their underwear all the time, not only because of its protective qualities, but also because it is legitimately the most comfy underwear I have ever worn in my life. You can get a discount on that underwear right now by going to getlamps.com and using promo code MMA. Make sure you use promo code MMA. Also, you can check out their whole line while you're there, which is going to be expanding to both apparel and women's underwear very soon. Plus, check them out on all of their different social media platforms at GetLambs. That's Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Lambs brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Grant Dawson, who fights Chaz Skelly at UFC 246 on January 18th. So, Grant, your UFC journey really started in 2019 when you went 2-0, and but but if you're actually going to go back to the beginning of that, you know, you won on the Contender Series all the way back in 2017, and then you spent two years clearing your name after, a, you know, a false USADA test. Looking back at that time, those two years that you sort of spent in limbo waiting for the UFC to sort of make their decision, now that you're 2-0, how do you look back at that time? Man, it, it, was, it was really hard at the time. You know, obviously, I always knew that I belonged in the UFC, and it was always a dream to be in the UFC. And then to have gotten so close, we had a fight signed and everything, and then just had it, you know, ripped away from you, it felt like, all the work that I had done had been for nothing. All the sacrifices I have made for this sport were just for nothing. But working through that, getting past that with my coaches, uh, it gave us a lot of time to really focus on us and, and getting our skills better, you know, not just preparing for somebody, but getting my game better all the way around. So it might have been a blessing in disguise. I don't believe that things happen for a reason, but I do believe that you can make the best of any situation. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I do want to ask, you You know, you said you and your coaches got to work on some particular skills. Was there something in particular that you feel like got loads better while you were out of commission? Yeah, my uh, my blending got a lot better. I really feel like the sport is, is going towards blending. Um, uh, one of the best champions, I think, 
is uh, Kamar Usman. One of the things that he does so well is he blends his striking and his wrestling together so well. If he doesn't get the shot, he's coming up with punches. If he misses this punch, it's right into the single leg. Uh, I really feel like that's what helped him beat Tyrone Woodley in their fight, and I really feel like that's where the sport is going. Before the layoff, I was kind of just a boxer, kicker, wrestler. Now I feel like I'm doing everything all together. If I miss the shot, I'm punching and elbowing off the break. If I miss the elbow, I'm coming back down to the single. You get it. I think that the blend just got so much better in my time off. Well, it certainly showed in your first two fights. Now, I do want to ask one more question before we move on to talking about your upcoming fight. Is Obviously, you're out of commission two years, which means you don't get an MMA-related paycheck in that amount of time. What sort of did you do to help keep yourself training full-time, and what did you have to do in order to get by in that time? Man, I, I don't need motivation to train. I, I do this because I love it so much. I wake up every single day. And I go, I'm, the, the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is practice. I love training. I didn't miss a single day of practice. The, the day I got suspended, I was in practice the very next day. Like, I don't miss practice. It's just ingrained in me to not miss practice. I enjoy it. Had to work a nine-to-five, you know, um, had to work uh, at a nursing home, waking up super early to wash dishes so that I could make first practice. Went back, washed more dishes, went back to second practice. It sucked. Um, I hated it, but it's something that you have to do. Any successful person will tell you you have to go through things that you don't love to do to be able to do what you love to do. And I'm a big believer in that. So we stuck to the grind, and now it's all paying off. Now all I do is wake up, play video games, and get to train. <laughs> the dream right there. Hell yeah. All right, so let's talk about that thing you love to do too, which is punching people in the face. Now, uh, you're fighting Chaz Kelly, uh, and, and so far in the UFC, your ground game has been on point. You even picked up a submission in your last fight. Chaz Kelly, though, is probably one of the best grapplers that you've faced maybe in your whole career without obviously giving too much away about your game plan. Do you feel like you could grapple and dominate him on the ground? Chaz is definitely the best person I've fought so far, but I am 100% the best person Chaz is ever going to fight. Um I believe in my skills. I think I can out-wrestle him. I think I can out-strike him. I think I can out-jiu-jitsu him. I, I really feel like I am the better fighter everywhere. I also feel like my MMA grappling is some of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. My MMA ground and pound and jiu-jitsu is just on point, and it's perfect for this sport. I really don't think that Chad can beat me in a wrestling match. I don't think Chad can beat me in a striking match. I don't think he can beat me in an MMA fight, so... Going into this fight, I really feel like it's up to me to dictate the pace and decide where this fight goes. I know what he's going to try to do. I know what he's going to try to do, and I'm going to stop that and do my my thing. I'm going to do my game plan, and we're going to implement it from bell one to bell three. Makes a lot of sense. Now, I want to backtrack to something you said in there, too, because you said you feel like you're one of the best MMA grapplers going out there. What do you think makes you uh, so special when it comes to that? Uh, it's funny. I was actually just talking to my coach about it today after practice. Um, it's nothing that I can explain. It's something that you have to feel. Uh, these guys can watch all the film on me. They want, they can come up with all the game plans that they want, but it's just different. When I get a hold of you, when I get on top of you and I start pulling you in and getting you close and start elbowing you, I just feel like I'm stronger than these 45ers. I'm a welterweight, man. I, I get big, like, I get real heavy without getting it, giving any details. I'm a welterweight when I step into the cage, and I'm fighting 45ers. 
you know. Uh, when I get a hold of them and they feel that strength, go back and watch the film. Go back and watch uh, a contender series fight. Like, in between rounds, you see it on their faces. They're like, this guy is not stopping, and he's so strong. And when I get on top of them and I just start putting that pressure down, I don't think they're ready for it. And like I said, you can watch all the film you want. You can make all the game plans you want. But until you feel it, you don't get it. Yeah, that, that's you certainly can see it on some of your opponents. Now, I do want to ask, too, you know, you mentioned fighting him three bells uh, in. Is that the way that you see this fight going? Do you see this fight having three bells? I don't. Um, he gets to decide when he wants to be done. Uh, one of the things that I do best is I make people quit, and I cannot foresee a situation where I don't make him give up. I completely understand that he is very mentally tough, and I accept that. But I also accept that challenge. And I'm super excited to make another man quit. Uh, I will get him down. I will beat him up. And he will give me his neck because he wants out. All right. I love that prediction. Now, I do want to ask a couple of questions about uh, the year and the card, too. Uh, you know, obviously, this is a big card. It's the first card of the year. But it is also headlined by Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone. Do you have any thoughts about being booked on a card with such, you know, like a, a big-named headliner? Yeah, man, it's so exciting. Um, I think that it, it's bringing a lot of uh, attention. Uh, it'll bring a lot of attention to me. Uh, my girlfriend and I were actually just looking at plane tickets for her to get there. And, like, just because Connor's on the card, airline prices are going up. Uh, hotel prices are going up. It, it's just it's crazy that a man in a sport who is fighting, you know, five weeks from now can affect things that don't even have to do with fighting. It, that's, that's awesome. That's somewhere where I'm trying to get to, like where Grant is on the card, prices go up because everybody wants to be there. So that's super exciting. I think it brings a lot of eyes to me. And I think it also puts a lot of uh, pressure on me. And I love that because the, the more pressure that I have, the better I do. The bigger the opponent, the better I do. The bigger the show, the better I do. I was made to do this sport. and I was made to do it at the highest level. I love that. Now, you mentioned, you know, you want to get to that level, but obviously we got to take one step at a time. We're right around the new year when this episode is going to come out. What are your goals and resolutions for 2020 since the new year is coming up? What do you got planned and what would the perfect year look like for Grant Dawson? 2020, I'm trying to fight as many times as possible. I'm going to give you a prediction right now. By the end of 2020, I will be ranked in the top 15. By the end of 2021, I will be ranked in the top five. And by the end of 2022, I will have that strap wrapped around my waist. You heard it here first, folks. Believe me. You did hear it here first, folks. Once again, this was Grant Dawson, who fights Chad Skelly at UFC 246 on January 18th. Grant, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for having me on, guys. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Odie Osborne, who fights Brian Kelleher at UFC 246 on January 18th. So, Odie, I was poking around your Twitter profile, and it mentioned that you are an educator. Could you uh, could you tell us a little bit about what you do when you're outside of the cage? Yeah, actually, um, I'm an assistant teacher. Uh, so, when I'm not fighting, I'm in the school. I work with 5th and 6th graders. Um <clears throat> I pretty much, it's shared leadership, so I pretty much do everything the teacher does. Uh, you know, I just pretty much, during, depending on the day, I have a set schedule. So 
today is Wednesday, so I have, you know I typically focus more on math. My primarily focus is mainly on math, um, but I do. You know, I, I help out in the class. I, I take the kids to their um, other classes, um, help them where they need it, just stuff like that. It's like I said, where I where I work, it's, it's shared leadership. So you know, the idea is to have it where if someone were to walk in the class, you can't tell if it's a teacher or an assistant teacher in the classroom. So I, I love that aspect of it, and I get to create my own um, math system based off of the curriculum that they give. Oh, well, that's absolutely awesome. Now, I, I have to ask, too, with working around kids, especially kids, you know, you said 5th, 6th grade, 10, 11 years old, do, do the kids know that that's what you do on the side? Do the kids see you outside of the cage or outside of the classroom fighting? Oh, most definitely. They they know, man. These kids, um, it's so I work at a uh, predominantly inner-city school, so a lot of these kids, they, you know, they, they have access to social media, they have Instagram, they, they're awesome, you know, they're super smart too i you know i can't get anything past them um so a lot of them pretty much they go home and they they look stuff up they look me up they watch videos film um they're not sheltered to anything they they got access to everything so they they all know what i'm doing and they follow me on instagram all kinds of stuff so um i welcome that i'd rather them follow you know someone had asked me if, that, if i let my kids follow follow me on, on social media and i, I said well you know, I'd way rather them follow me because some of the stuff that I see them following on social media is, <laughs> I'd way rather them look at me as, as an example than some of the stuff that they, they follow. So. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I do have to ask you, though, you know, while you're trying to get stuff done, you're trying to get kids to, you know, multiply fractions and stuff like that. Is it hard yep. to get them to stop talking about that? Because I imagine, especially ones that are super into athletics, would have a million questions for you every day. Actually, no, no, not at all, man, because I've, I've been in the school now for, um, you know, four years, so they all know me pretty well, and I've built a relationship with literally every single kid there. So when it comes to, like, UFC and fighting and stuff like that, they don't really, like, bug me about it because we're on, like, a completely different level. It's not like they're, like, they're not fanboy about it, you know what I mean? They're just, what? They're, they're too busy giving me a hard time. And making fun of me and stuff like that. <laughs> we have that, you know what I mean? We have like, I have a super close relationship with them. So um, I think it's different. It's, it's it's much different than to say if I were to go to a different school, it would be completely different. The, the kids, the newer kids would be more so like, uh, like this year we had a couple of new kids and they were the ones that were like, oh man, you're in the UFC. Oh man, you know, stuff like that. And my other students were like, oh, this he's new, <laughs> you know. So yeah, they don't really they don't really like bother me about it, or they don't ask me questions. They it's it's like it's almost like it's crazy because it's almost like um, if you were a younger sibling and you're trying to like prove to mom and dad that you know you, you do a lot of work compared to your older sibling, but mom and dad don't really care. Like the kids are like mom and dad; they don't really care. I'm trying to like I bring stuff in. I bring, I show them videos, and they're like, okay, Mr. O, all right, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad at least the, the new kids on the block give you a, a little ego boost once in a while. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I love it. When new kids come around, I'm like, hey, you want to see this video of me? They're like, oh, yeah, for sure. You know, they, they, they eat it up. Uh, all right, speaking of being but, the new kid on the block, you're about to fight Brian Kelleher, who is a, a six-fight UFC veteran. You're the new kid on the block here. But even as the new kid on the block, the UFC obviously saw a reason to book you with the six-fight veteran. What do you think that, that that says about how the UFC feels about you? 
I think they see me as a, a person that that's hoping to to be a savior to the bantamweight division. That's what I see myself as, and that's why I said I'm the Picasso of MMA because um, <clears throat> I'm hoping to bring uh, something different to the table. Because I feel like um, I don't know, it, it's it's becoming almost like one dimensional where everyone's kind of it's it's like everything is being conjoined together and fighting as a whole is is becoming all too. Uh, plain Jane, I should say, but um, I'm I'm hoping to bring that uniqueness to the, to the division, not just to the division, to the whole UFC. I think people are looking for that new McGregor, that used that new Silva, you know, uh, that new um, uh, GSP. You know, uh, I think I'm I'm that, and I think they see that. I think Dana sees it. Um, the only people that don't see it are the people that want to fight. So, which which is going to speak for itself. And I've heard you use that term before, too, the the Picasso of fighting. Could you explain a little bit more about what you mean about that? Um, I, I, I say that I'm the Picasso of, of MMA because I generally, fighting for me, is a, it's an art. I don't go out there and um, think about numbers and combinations. It just comes to me, you know what I mean? Um, uh, my body just reacts, and I create like, you you know, as a canvas, you create your own flavor, you know what I'm saying? You go out there and I just do my thing, man. I just let, let the magic happen. Let, let the, let the rhythm takes over. And it's just, um, me creating my own style in there. Whatever I think of, that's what I do. I don't hesitate on nothing. I just do whatever comes to my mind. And it's just, it's out there. So it's a whole piece when I'm done, whether it's, whether it's, it's blood splatter, <laughs> you know, yeah, so and, and I'm interested to hear too because you know you said you just do what comes to you. It's not thinking about combinations. It, it's a natural feeling. Has it always been that way with you doing MMA? Was it that like the day you stepped into an MMA gym, or is that something you feel like you've trained into your body? Uh, a little bit of both. I've trained that into my body, and it's always been there. So uh, when I first started MMA, I started with a coach. Uh, he was like almost like uh, my role model, dad, sensei, whatever you want to call it. You know, he. He's the one that, that sparked that, that interest in MMA within me. And that's when I, I, I realized I naturally had those abilities to be able to do that. And then, you know, after he passed away in motorcycle accident, after about four, four years of being with him, I ended up going to a different gym. And I think the style was, it was different. It wasn't really my style. It was just, I'm not going to say it was bad. It just was different. It wasn't for me. Um, and it kind of, brought me out of that. It kind of took me off my, it kind of put me, uh, took me on my element a little bit. You know what I mean? It was, it was very technical, traditional, and it just, it took me on my element. And uh, I had to find my way back and I ended up at Pure Vita and they, you know, took the chains back off of me and I was, I was the Picasso again and create my own styles. Um, that's what they let me do, you know, create my own, my own, my own flow, my own style. And I think a lot of gyms, they, 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 there's a fine line between letting your fighter be themselves and over-coaching. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the gym I'm at now understand, they understand how I am as a person and I don't need to be over-coached. You know, they just make what I do better. Well, well that's certainly so. a, a good thing to have in any gym for that matter. Now, I do have to ask you, you know, obviously we're getting towards the end of this interview. When you step into the cage with Brian Keller, how do you see this fight going? I see it going all of about three minutes, maybe four minutes. That's what I'm. I mean, anything, anything can happen. All the time, anything can happen. It's a fight. I can go in there, get knocked out. I can get submitted. The fight can last the whole round. 
You know what I mean? I, I see it going, but that's not how um, I see it going. I see it happening very, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to terrorize him um, for all of four minutes. Because typically, that's, that's about how, how many, I, I say that's about how long people can last with me in there before they, they their body starts shutting down. Because I can go like 25 minutes nonstop, nonstop. And it's hard for fighters to, to keep that pace up. You know, it's hard for them to keep that pace up. So I'm interested to see if he's able to keep the pace up for longer than three minutes. That's after that three-minute mark, they, people start to shut down. Um, I, I think, you know, as like I said, I'm Jamaican, so I think we have that rare that rare breed of of that, that Corvette engine that built inside <laughs> of us that, I, I just, like I said, I see myself, you know, rumbling through that jungle. Like, I, I don't see it going any, 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 I don't see him posing a threat to me in any aspect of jiu-jitsu, wrestling, kickboxing, whatever the case may be. Um, um, I don't, I'm sorry. No, go right ahead. No, I say I don't, you know, I don't study him, or nor do I watch his film. My coach does all that stuff. They told me, you know, some stuff. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I got kids. I'm trying to get their grades up. I'm trying to, you know, focus on other stuff in, in my life to really give a brass ass about what he's, he's doing. So I, I always say that whenever people ask me if I study my opponents, I don't. I'm like, I, 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 I spend zero time studying film on what they do. I mean, we got we got kids out here struggling. I don't give a damn about your your film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do I do got to ask you too about the fight card you're on because UFC 246 is certainly a big one with a huge headliner between Conor McGregor and uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. What are your thoughts about being on that card in in the media circus that will probably surround it? Um, my thought, I think I'm gonna be the best performer on that card. To be honest with you, um, it's not me being like talky or anything. It's just the, the confident level that I have within myself and I've always seen within myself. Um, anything I say I'm going to do, I go out there and I do it. And I, I, I do believe that I'm going to be the the best performer on the card. And I've, I've, I've been working on some things that, you know, some wild factors for this fight. So uh, I'm, I'm going to tell the fans to look out for something crazy. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on a couple wild factors. I love that. Now, I, I want to ask, too, because it is right around New Year's by the time this hits the airwaves. Uh, and I've been asking fighters for their New Year's resolutions and their goals. So if, if Odie Osborne has a perfect 2020, what does that look like? A perfect 2020 would look like I would have about four or five UFC fights, um, hopefully. But I know it's, it's hard with, you know injuries and scheduling and stuff like that. But I think that would look like every fight ending in the first round. That's my, that's my, that's my resolution for the next, for 2020. So far I'm eight and oh, I'm sorry, eight and two and all my fights have ended pretty much in the first round. So I'm, I'm hoping to keep that streak. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Odie Osborne who fights Brian Kelleher at UFC 246 on January 18th. Odie, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. No problem, man. And those interviews with Odie Osborne and Grant Dawson are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. It does not matter what type of martial art you train because they've got you covered. They've got 35 different martial arts programmed into their app that you can list as your primary martial art. And hey, if you train more than one of them, they've got you covered there too. Basically, all you're going to do is you're going to go to either the iTunes Store or the Apple or uh, the uh, Google Play Store and get the Maroon Social app, M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon. 
once you've got it, you set up your profile with what you like to train, where you like to train, and who you like to train it with. Plus, from there, you can log your training sessions, which I find really helpful because if I want to write a note, I know exactly when I train that thing, exactly when I need to train it again. And they give you week-to-week, month-to-month updates about how you are doing, whether or not you're getting enough training in, not enough training in, more training than last month, less training than last month. So check them all out, Maroon Social. Now, once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Greenland, joined once again by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I personally am loving these prospect versus established veteran fights that they're using to start the year. How about you? I myself, myself am loving these prospect versus established vet fights. We've seen the UFC do this a number of times, and in a lot of ways it's really can't miss because or can't lose because if the prospect wins, boom, you got a new contender, maybe a new star on your hands. And if they don't, if they're young enough and if they're really talented enough, they're not going to be, you know, set back that many years, let's say, by a lost and established star at this point in their career. If anything, they learn from it. They come back stronger, a la GSP losing to Matt Hughes the first time they fought in just his third UFC fight. Uh, I think it's a great learning experience for the prospects, so I love it when they do this. Yeah, and you, you mentioned if they're young enough, too. Both the guys we interviewed, Odie Osborne and Grant Dawson, both of them, uh, I think Grant is 25 and Osborne's 27, so they're, they're young in their career. They're hitting their prime, and I actually like both of these matchups for them, too. I think they're both very winnable matchups. And it kind of plays perfectly, LOL, almost like we planned it, into our combat countdown today, which is the top five unranked contenders. Gumby, why don't you give a little bit of backstory on why it was perfect to do this, to kick off 2020. So for for four years in a row, and I mentioned this at the top of the show a little bit too, four years in a row we've had a contender come from the unranked portion of the UFC. Four years in a row, somebody on January 1st was unranked, and then by the end of the year had at least earned a title shot that was booked and ready to go by the end of the year. We had Cody Garbrandt, we had Volkan Ozdemir, we then had Anthony Smith, and then we had Veili Zhang. All four of them wound up getting title shots, two of them winning the title. So we wanted to look and see which of the unranked people in the UFC right now had the best chance at doing the exact same thing that those four did. All right. Uh, Well, with that said, I think it's time to kick it off. We're pretty good at what we do, so we will give you our top five unranked going into 2020. You might want to take notes on this. Uh, You could buy stock in these fighters now or at least gamble on them as the year goes along. Uh, And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this Combat Countdown is brought to you by the Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational. It is going to be the premier grappling event in the first quarter of 2020, put on by the infamous Mike Wacker of Black Hole in upstate New York. The Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational is inviting eight of the best grapplers, submission grapplers, in the Northeast at 170 pounds with the chance to walk away with some sweet cash, eight-man, 170-pound tournament, Almost all submissions are legal. No holds barred. You can heel hook in a gi. The tournament itself will be taking place in no gi, but there will be featured gi matchups with rising stars and stars you already know about. Check them out online, Hudson Valley Grappling Invitational on Instagram. You're not going to want to miss this on February 1st, taking place in the beautiful city, underrated city in my opinion, of Poughkeepsie, New York. With that said, let's get to the combat countdown. Again, we are going over the top unranked fighters heading in 
to 2020, and we'll, of course, kick it off, as we always do, with our Combat Countdown Top 5, with number 5, Bryce Mitchell. Yeah, Thug Nasty was an obvious pick for this, and honestly, he would probably be much higher in this list if he wasn't in a weight class that is extremely difficult to get to the title shot right now. 145 pounds is as tough as ever to get to the title shot, and on top of that, you also now have Edson Barboza walking into the division. It, it would be really impressive feat for him to do so, but right now, he is red hot. He's 3-0 in the UFC, and he's coming off that twister win over Matt Salas. It's kind of crazy that he's not already ready ranked uh because he also beat bobby moffitt by decision so like he's already got two really impressive wins on his resume and he's got that really flashy finish i I think he on the mic is a star so like there are so many reasons why bryce mitchell is somebody who you should keep an eye out on and like i said before if he wasn't a featherweight he'd probably be number one Uh, I was going to say the same exact thing. He's great on the mic. He's kind of got a good gimmick going with, like, the innocent country boy, kind of wide-eyed, like, just happy to be here gimmick. Uh, He's good on social media. He's pretty funny. He just strikes me as the kind of guy that the UFC can get behind the media marketing machine, a la Sage Northcutt, not for the same reasons, per se, but just a young, exciting fighter that generates some buzz. They love these kind of rising prospects. So Bryce Mitchell, a person to keep an eye on, not just for his fighting skill, but also because I just think the UFC is going to want to push him, as we say in pro wrestling. We'll get then then to number four. It's Jorgen DeCastro. Yeah, I love Jorgen DeCastro. Now, he's only had one fight in the UFC, but it was a walk-off KO over Justin Taffa, who is uh, Mark Hunt's guy. Uh, it, but he's fighting Greg Hardy next. So that, that's the reason why, even with only one win in the UFC, I felt so good about putting him on here. He's a heavyweight. You know, heavyweight is notoriously a thin division and an easy one to rise quickly in. If he were to go on and put that same kind of uh, performance like he did over Justin Taffa over Greg Hardy, it would be really hard not to expect him to, A, be in the top 15 rankings and B also have a lot of hype behind him. And, you know, we mentioned with Bryce Mitchell, some of it is that personality thing. People love the personality of Bryce Mitchell. Jorgen DeCastro could not be a nicer guy with like a nicer background story. So like people will be rooting for Jorgen DeCastro against Greg Hardy for somewhat obvious reasons, but also because he's a super nice guy. So I picked Jorgen DeCastro for the heavyweight division. We'll move then to the, female side of the UFC, and uh, we will go with number three, Amanda Rebus. Yeah, Amanda Rebus seemed like a slam dunk in this one for me, too. Uh, she's a she's going to be fighting at strawweight. She is a strawweight. She's 2-0 and in the UFC. She got a rear naked choke over Emily Whitmire, which wound up being a much more impressive win now that we've seen Emily Whitmire a couple more times. And then she took a decision win over Mackenzie Dern and looked damn impressive doing so too. Mackenzie Dern looked like she had no answers for Amanda Rebus, and she was one that people had previously had pegged to be a top of the division type person. And I'm pretty sure the last time we did this list, either last year or the year before, we had Mackenzie Dern on the list. So the fact of the matter is is that Amanda Rebus stole a lot of that momentum, and now she's scheduled to fight Paige Van Zandt. Like, it is just turning into the perfect perfect storm for Amanda Rivas to be a superstar and to gain tons of momentum and again strawweight not the deepest division in the whole world she could pick up a couple of wins just like Wei Li Zhang did and wind up in the same position as her well we'll move then to a deeper division and a very exciting champion at 185 pounds in Israel Adesanya and maybe our prospect here matches up well with him because he brings 
such a world-class ground game to the fight. Uh, obviously, Adesanya would be uh, favored in a striking exchange, but just styles make fights. And from a matchup perspective, uh, I am one who would welcome such a striker versus grappler type matchup. I'm a huge fan of this man from the BJJ world. It's Rodolfo Vieira. Yeah, Rodolfo Vieira, again, only 1-0 in the UFC with a submission win over Oscar Pichota. But in the reason why he's only had one fight in the UFC is because he took some of that time off to compete in jiu-jitsu. You know, he had um, a fight, I believe it was August TV Pichota, but then he competed in Spider, uh, which is on Flow Grappling, if you are so inclined to watch. Uh he took some time off to compete in that, did pretty well. He His grappling credentials, as you said, they don't need to be listed here. He's an impressive grappler. He's super, super good. But I actually think he's doing a really good job of blending his striking into his grappling. You know, everybody's all hyped up on Ryan Hall now. Uh, people were a little bit more hyped on Cron Gracie. I actually see him more in the Ryan Hall portion where he's focused on his striking and is learning how to put it all together. And while 85 is a, a, a kind of a tough division, like you said, he's a weird matchup for a lot of people, and I think that could possibly catapult him up the division a little bit faster. All right, before we get to number one, I think now would be an opportune time. Let's just talk about the just missed, the honorable mentions, just outside the bubble of a top five. Who did we have for a couple of honorable mentions before we round out the list of number one? So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Grant Dawson, who was on the show earlier today. He's 2-0, and and he's got a fight with Chad Skelly, which is pretty exciting. But again, that division, 145, is a really tough one to get in on. And if I was going to include Bryce Mitchell from 145, I actually think he's got a little bit of a leg up on Grant Dawson right now based on the way he's won and, and you know, his sort of, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but sort of a gimmick. Uh, I also almost put Brianna Van Buren on. She was one of those ones who won a, a three-fight tournament in Invicta, or a three fights in one night tournament in Invicta. She wound up winning their title, but she was scheduled for a fight early and wound up pulling out of the fight. So uh, I'm not real positive about her either. I like Chase Hooper, but he's 20 years old. Um, somebody on Twitter mentioned Montel Jackson. Love Montel Jackson. But God, can you imagine somebody going unranked to getting a title shot at Bantamweight right now? Bantamweight is nuts. So um, yeah, so those were some of the ones who I had on my list as possibles, but either their division or their age or just barely being not quite as good as the ones on the list uh, kept them out. Yeah. So we didn't want to, you know, not give them their day in the sun. They didn't make the top five, but still worthy of a mention at least. But here's someone who's very worthy of number one. It's a no doubt for us, but you could hit us up on our Twitter at top turtle MMA. If you strongly disagree, but I think you should probably agree. If you know what's best for you, our number one, for the prospect to watch, maybe with the best chance of going from unranked to a title shot, uh, it's Ryan Spann. Yeah, Ryan Spann uh, makes so much sense to me because, first of all, it's light heavyweight. We mentioned the four people at the beginning of this countdown who had gone from unranked to title shot, two of them in the light heavyweight division. So, obviously, the light heavyweight division is the easiest place to do exactly that. But more so and even more impressive is what he's done since he's been in the UFC. So, he made his UFC debut in September of 2018 when he decisioned uh, Luis Enrique, which is a, an okay win. But he followed that up by knocking out Little Nogue and then submitting uh, Devin Clark with a guillotine choke, which is just absolutely a hell of a run 
for only being in the UFC for like a year and a half or a little bit under a year and a half. So he's got all the momentum going for him. And I think that that's really important. On top of that, if you go back fights, I mean, he's got some really impressive wins in LFA over, you know, like UFC vets like Alex Nicholson. He got to the UFC on Dana White Contender Series over somebody who just won a million dollars in PFL on New Year's Eve. So like this guy has got a hell of a run in him. He's got 11 submissions and 17 wins. Like, Come on, like, it is exciting. Oh, oh, and also, I forgot my favorite part. He fights at Fortis MMA, which is, you know, absolutely blowing up as one of the biggest gyms in MMA right now. Ryan's fan seems like a slam dunk to be number one in this list. Boom. That's our list. We're sticking to it. Hit us up on our Twitter, at MMA if you loved our list, if you hated our list. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. Be on the lookout for more combat countdowns this year. But as the UFC gets rolling again, we'll, of course, return to our favorite segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we break down a couple of fights, give you a dog to watch on an upcoming card, give you a parlay to play on an upcoming card. We're pretty damn good at what we do, and we're proud of it, and we hope you're enjoying it as well. Gumby, that about does it for the main body of the show, as they say. Why don't you clean things up, wrap things up, take us home, get us out of here. And, well, of course, I would love to wrap us up. I want to give a quick thank you to all of the people who helped make this show possible. First, let's start with the fans. We would not have a show without you guys listening in each and every week. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us because we would not be able to do what we do without them or our sponsors, for that matter, Maroon Social and Lambs. Make sure to visit Get Lambs across social media platforms. And speaking of social media, make sure to check out our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We got all kinds of cool things going on there, plus... With the upcoming UFC 246 event right around the corner, we will be doing some cool giveaways for that as well. But until then, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, he's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.